I am really looking forward to this conversation today, Steve. We've got a number of so people much. coming on this call. Uh, I was shocked and delighted to see that my old buddy Norm Brewer from the Des Moines Register days uh, actually wrote a novel about <laughs> January 6th. Richard Richard picked it up and read it and uh, loved it and wrote a little review. I haven't read it yet, but Norm Brewer's on the call, so that's fun. All Robert right. Robert Leonard is on the call, and he's one of your clients. And no, we'll have to make sure we mute him. <laughs> He'll probably give me a hard time. He's <laughs> one of my very favorite people. So it's fun to see who's popping on this call. I will cool. turn it over to them as soon as we have a a little bit of an introductory conversation. But Steve Simkin okay. is the owner of a publishing company called Iceberg Ice Cube, not Iceberg. Sorry about that. It's okay. Ice Cube Press. By the way, how did you come up with Ice Cube? Oh, I was going to call it Iceberg, and then I changed my mind. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, uh, although I really doesn't matter. I'm amazed. I, I still get to have myself referred to, but it's uh, when I was starting out, I was always thinking about starting a new company. I was going to be a uh, timber framer. I was going to be a... Uh, a organic gardener. I was going to do VW mechanics. Um, and then one day I was writing a story and I was had this guy wandering across this open space. And you know how you're driving and you see mirages out in front of you on the highway. And I, I had this guy finally get into inside a mirage that was out there. And lo and behold, on the inside was the Ice Cube Cafe. I mean, you know, obviously I created that. But the next day I literally started I was like, I think I'm going to be a book publisher. And so I was like, what's the best idea I can come up with today? So I thought I'll call it the Ice Cube Cat. I mean, the Ice Cube Press. Um, and since then, I've had people tell me why I did that. They're like, I know it's because um, liquid turns to solid and you can change different formats and all this. And I'm like, oh, that's exactly why. <laughs> and so um, it was just a spur of the moment type thing. Was there anything in particular? This is not an easy business that you've chosen, obviously. Is there something in particular? Uh, you, you were thwarted by uh, rejection letters from publishers and decided, by God, I'm going to do this myself. Or what, what propelled you into this world? Well, hopefully I won't need to take any antidepressant medication as I explain it. I'm just kidding. It wasn't that bad, but some of it was just some of it was, it was a combination of things. It was, um, I graduated from the University of Iowa in the mid eighties. And I, in my brain, I always thought I was going to be a writer and I never, and then I, I went on to get a job that it wasn't necessarily my choice of a job. Um, then I got another job and I'm almost embarrassed to admit I was a, uh, I worked at a telemarketing place and helped, um, bother people on the phone and then eventually I got to be one of the people that helped uh come up with rebuttals and <laughs> script writing <laughs> and so my thing then was um you know make the people say no three times uh, but it was just taking breaks at work there was this little bookstore in Lawrence Kansas where there was a uh there was a um I'm just going in on my breaks and I thought, man, I really don't want these jobs. I have to figure out a way to write and how I can be associated with writing. And so I, I just started thinking about that. I started this small magazine called Sycamore Roots. 
I just loved uh, sycamore trees when I lived down there. They're the longest living um, deciduous trees, and I love their bark formations and their their long growth. And in some ways, I didn't understand what I was doing, and I didn't think that I'd still be in business. But one of the because I fa I fancy myself a a person that's learned business along the way, learned advertising along the way. I don't have degrees in any of that. But I and sometimes when it gets down to these technical things, like writers want to know how many books they sold or they want royalties or they want to know my return of investment on things. I'm like, honestly, I'm just a creative writer that's took off in the direction of wanting to be a book publisher. And so I, in some ways, I'd have no idea what I'm doing. In other ways, I am totally I feel totally competent at what I do. I think looking back on it, the biggest decision I made, and I don't regret this at all, may sound like it, is that I did kind of just leave the idea of being a writer behind with the idea that eventually I would do that again. And I don't really feel like I'm looking back at that a whole lot. I have a couple books that I wrote early um, in the 2000s and late 19 in the 90s. But um, I I don't know. I, I just keep doing it. And now I've got my 10,000 hours in and I'm, uh, I'm just rolling along <laughs> with, with my ideas. And I, um, I have learned that over time, you know, I was going to start out as an environmental press only. Uh, I love fly fishing. I love trees. I love gardening and being outside. And pretty soon it dawned on me that um, you can only read so many books about leaves falling or um, people send you books about, proposals on how the river and the current is flowing and I'm like honestly <laughs> I mean it's not that they're bad but it's like only so many ways you want to know the stories of a place and I've learned over time I think it was Greg Brown I, th I think he started Red House Records along the way and he someone had said how do you choose the records you do and I remember him saying well I just learned to trust what I like or I just learned to trust myself and I thought that was kind of a weird answer at the time, but now I think that's a great answer. Like I've learned to trust my curiosity in the world and the things that I like, and even the wall behind you with those images. It's like, I can sort of tell you why each one of them came along when they did. And I thought, oh, I'd love to know more about that. Or I'd like to, I'm curious about that, or that fits in with what I believe. That is a lovely answer and certainly one I can relate to. You mentioned the, the yeah. river and, you know, the, the mm -hmm. andering of the river, which reminds right. me of a book recently published by Neil Hamilton. And right. he, he chose a, an interesting way to tell the story about the river by giving, <laughs> uh, um, by giving it a, uh, a persona. Right. Do you think other publishers would have turned their nose up with that idea or how do you of course how do you know but um well you know I can I can point to a fair number of books that I can tell you that a either I do know that other publishers didn't take them or I'm certain that they wouldn't do it the way I did it um the most recent one that comes to mind is the Swine Republic by Chris Jones I, I'm I'm nearly positive no one else would have done that cover for him whereas I feel like that's the only way to do that cover is to have that flag on there with this wine and those kind of that toxic waste colors. And, and with, um, with the save, I, there's a one in your corner that I wasn't going to talk about that saved by Schindler book yeah. um, by Bill Fredericks out of Des Moines. And, you know, I, 
I'm not sure that it was that easy for him to find a publisher for that. And really? I, I feel like it was an honor. I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I think he tried another publisher. Um, but when he came to me, I was like, I feel like it's an honor to be trusted with something like that. Wow. Um, this, this, uh, and, and Neil's are, um, he's interesting because I think he was, he, um, I don't think people would imagine that he would be someone that would try and write in the, in another uh, point of view necessarily. And so sometimes writers kind of surprise you a little bit. I, I didn't know Neil Hamilton prior to doing his books, um, but he, I was a little, he didn't seem like the kind of person that would speak for the land and speak for the river in that sort of um, tone. But then I, you know, I kind of admired someone um pushing themselves like that. And it was a it was a question that we went over to answer your question, whether um, whether someone else would allow him to do that. I um I feel like I bring a writer's sensibility, whatever that is, that could be actually a bad thing. <laughs> I feel like I bring, I feel like I'm a publisher that can relate to writers more than most publishers probably can. And if I see that there's a lot of the times what you're reading for is, um, you know, sometimes you don't know why you like a piece of art and sometimes you don't know why you like a, a piece of writing, but it's all between the lines or it's something that you didn't expect to feel while you're writing, while you're reading it. And so I feel like I do trust that part about other writers and what they bring um, when, they, when they take chances like that. Well, this is so exciting to have a chance to talk <laughs> And I want to talk about the publishing business and industry in general, but I also okay. want to encourage everyone on the call, and I see a number of you have actually worked with Steve as a client. <laughs> I, I certainly welcome your uh, participation in this conversation, too. But is it, a, is it a tough business today, tougher than it was when you started? Hmm. Well, yes and no. I mean... I think it's hard for for people younger than me because I feel like I'm kind of on the cutting edge of um, of old. I'm on the youngest end of old people. <laughs> that means like when I first started, I didn't have an email and I didn't have a website. And I was going to the library and I was looking at this thing called the literary marketplace and copying names and phone numbers down. And everything I did was that way. And it was hard. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I listed this book on this new site called Amazon. And I was like, hey, if they are stupid enough to try and sell books online, I'm willing to list a book with them. I mean, I had no idea that was what was going to happen in the future. Um, and things have changed. So in some ways, because I didn't know what I was doing, it was way harder then. I was um, calling, I, I would have these huge lists. I'd send a book to a bookstore i'd call them after a week if they said they weren't they didn't know yet or they didn't have it i'd put a check mark and say do you want me to call you back in a couple of days they'd say yes and i was like you don't know that i will call you back in two days like i probably my best enduring quality is sometimes just simple persistence <laughs> in the world and i think that is probably the secret to being a long-time business at anything especially in uh, in the writing world. But um, sometimes you just get people go, oh my God, like my version of, of sales is that until they say no, they could still say yes. And so, you know, I just keep going at it. <laughs> um, 
But it, in some ways, it's it's never been harder because a lot of people want you to have a uh, ebook or they want to have a Kindle, and I'm not opposed to those. But a lot of the times, the Kindles are considered free items, where they're like 99 cents. Um, and there's more ways to be publicized. But that's not necessarily a good thing because we used to focus on the Register and we used to focus on the Minneapolis Star Tribune or the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. And if you could get in those, it was a huge readership. You got everyone you needed to get. Now you can find lots and lots of websites or podcasts or, uh, or um, radio interviewers so many specific uh, markets and they have more readers than, you know, the large papers that I used to spend so much time shooting for. And so in that regard, it's, it's gotten harder and easier because you can find that little narrow group, but you spend all this time <laughs> hoping to get those narrow groups. And along the way, I still believe in, in the register and the, and the large papers. And so I still go after those. I was having a it's not an easy answer. Yeah, I was having a conversation with a fairly successful author a year ago who um, who has published through the mainstream uh, mm -hmm. big name uh, businesses. And he, he commented that over the years, the big publishing houses have cut back, cut back, cut back the services they provide for, for their authors to the point where he's thinking, why, why even try? Why even want to go to a big publishing house when they take so much of the revenue and, and they're offering less and less to the authors? Is that, is that a truism? Uh, well, I mean, it's everything goes if you're a huge name, if you're, if you're, uh, I can't, if you're uh, a, a famous football coach and you wanted to have a book come out, probably the chances are that, uh, you know, they'd give you a big advance. And so that's one way that you can make it in writing, but that's pretty few and far between on the people. I, I don't know that, um, I don't know the bigger businesses, big companies that well, but I do hear about it. And I, I feel like they're sort of, their approach is, and I've certainly worked with authors who haven't recovered their advances. And if you don't do that, you're kind of shunned from the rest of the publishing world and the big houses. And secondly, they may or may not spend much time on you. And so you're not totally wrong about that. Like they're looking for their big hit and it'll be worth it to get in every single airport and every single New York Times uh, write-up. And so you can easily get lost. And I hear that a lot. And I mean, I like to break things down a little smaller than that because I am um, like, from my point of view, what I, I can, I always like to think of what I can do better than them. And so, because there's a few things people frequently feel like they haven't succeeded if they don't get a big publisher. And I always think that that's not true um, because I will help you create the cover that you want. I will help you, uh, create the book that you most want to have your name on the cover for. And I just think, and when I say that as so many times people will say, Oh my God, you'll let, you'll let us have a say in the cover. You'll let me help work on that and, and, uh, create it. And I always, I think that it would be a disservice to a person that's, um, 
put so much effort into writing a book not to make it the way they want it. Because I frequently, I'm about to get in one of my spiels now. So I guess I've got time. <laughs> I, I always feel like, um, and this is one of my things I've learned, and I've said this, I say this a lot, but I don't think it's a waste of time. I, I realize this is why I feel like I'm a good writer's publisher is that I understand how much time and energy it takes in to write a book. Like if you're um, working at a university or if you've got a business and somewhere amongst your family and soccer games or um, making your roof work okay, I mean, somehow you figured out a way to put time into doing a book. And so therefore it's something that you really care about. And so there's this thing, when I get a proposal from someone, I realize that they're trusting me with it. And it's important for me to remember that, like if everything's not for me, but these are like, you mentioned like, Steve, you make dreams come true. Well, I kind of feel like the point of writing a book is to do what you want, is that one chance to do exactly what you want, the way you want to do it and share your ideas with someone or other people. And so I'm led to always remind writers that they should enjoy the writing process more than worrying about the publishing process for as long as possible. Because I sometimes think the publishing part is the least exciting part of all. I mean, then you're suddenly worrying about sales and you're worried about people not liking your book. <laughs> but, don't you think don't you think authors have to be worried about sales or at least Maybe yeah. words, not the word, but participate in that part of it. Right. I just, what I mean by that is that when they're writing their book, I feel like sometimes they don't spend the time putting many, they're jumping to the end. They're like, I want to be a famous writer. I want to get to the, to the finish line. But once you do have it come out, the answer to your question on, on, they should be worried about sales for my, for me as, as well as themselves. <laughs> I mean, there's this thing about me being a publisher that, you know, I don't have a, a retirement fund and this is going to be my pity case, everybody, but it's not really, it's just about how the whole thing works. It's like, as an independent publisher, I worry about the sales because I need the sales to do the next book. I always tell authors, um, you know, the best thing you can do for another author is what you hope they'll do for you when your book comes out, which is, are you buying other authors books? And so that, in some ways, it's the recycle process that keeps going and going. But the other thing I kind of feel, and this isn't so much for uh, fiction writers, but it could be, is that uh, you can turn the, the royalties of your book into the smallest part of your, of your money if you're worried about the money. Like um, you instantly, like if you listen to NPR radio, they don't say... Um, Betty Jones is going to talk to us today about something. They always say, Betty Jones, author of blah, 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 blah. And so you are, you become an expert at something when you have a book come out. And so that's your ticket in a lot of ways to how you can turn your book into more than the book sales. You can start hoping that uh, the Okaboji Writers Retreat notices you and they have you come and do it. They come and have you do it. You get to be a teacher or a speaker, or um, you get to be invited to your, if you wrote a book about stocks, then maybe the local stock club will start having you. And then it could get bigger and bigger. And you start um, selling your books at those events and, or you start getting paid to do speaking. And I think that's 
frequently underlooked um, by authors. And that's where there's a, there's a huge potential there as a published author to have something happen for you. And of course, the catch side to that is if you, um, if you self-publish your book and it looks like a self-published book and it's not that great, then it's probably going to fundamentally, it's probably going to exponentially backfire on you to claim that you're an expert at something. And so that's one reason to get a bigger publisher or more established publisher, just one of many reasons. Okay. I'm going to start calling on people since you're not, no, raising, no. <laughs> since you're not raising hands and I'll, I'll tell you in advance who, who I'd like to talk. Well, I always like okay. to talk to Chuck Offenberger. Oh, he, he took his uh, video off. Norm Brewer, I'd like to get your involvement in this discussion, <clears throat> excuse me, as a, as a new author. Um, and Monica Leo, I understand you're a client of, of Steve's. Mm -hmm. Chris Jones, I see you're on the call. Love to get your input in this. And Bob Leonard, there you are, there's Bob. Um, anybody else who has a question or a comment? If Please. my if my microphone starts to cut out, it's because they asked me a really bad. They asked me a question I can't answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Maura Casey, you're up first. Thank you. And you are muted, so you'll need to unmute. There okay, you go. I'm unmuted. I'm I'm uh, got back trouble, so I'm lying on a couch, which is why I. I am not uh, revealing myself in all my glory. <laughs> so you look really, um, really great. You look like a snow, uh, uh, like a snow, snow person in progress. There. Love that. Um, I'd like to ask about distribution um, okay. and how difficult it is to get books into bookstores and into airports or whatever. Is that a challenge for a smaller publisher or an indie publisher rather than a big? one of the big guys um well yes and no i mean if you are a uh, if you're a one book publisher and or a self-published author it's probably pretty hard um i am able to get any book distributed anywhere in the country um i just have to go through and fill out the paperwork because i'm i mean i'm a publisher it's been accepted by all the large distributors um, and so on the first, I mean, the first way to answer that question is not super duper hard, but the problem is just getting into a bookstore or uh, getting into places is is really not that amazing in some ways, because I don't know if you've, you've been into a bookstore recently, but uh, there's a lot of competition in there for all the books that are in the store. And so the distribution is important. Because if if you get coverage or if you have, do something, then you want to be there at the time that people find out about your book. And for better or worse, Amazon is certainly a uh, a main player in that. I, there's very few of us, no matter what we admit, that don't refer to Amazon as a place to uh, find out about things. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's hard because it's hard to sell books, um, but it's a little hard for me to answer that question because I, 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 um, it's kind of like fly fishing, which honestly, I probably learned <laughs> everything I learned in life from fly fishing. I'm not, I'm that guy, like the beginning of river runs through it. What's he say? In my family, there was no clear distinction between religion and fly fishing. For me, there's no clear distinction between publishing and fly fishing, meaning <laughs> even if you do everything right, 
you still have to be an optimist and it could still not work out. So um, publishing is very uh, smug with itself up until the time when the books come out and you, no one can tell you that they know exactly what's going to happen or they have any one particular recipe for how it's going to work out. So Maura, can I use you as kind of a case study with Steve in this conversation? Would you be open to that? Oh, Jesus. Now I'm scared. Yeah, go ahead. You should be scared. Here it comes. No, I'm just kidding. You're going to be on your back for another week. You are You are a classic example who um, of somebody who I'm certain has written a compelling memoir uh, with, a, with a big story to tell. And it's not easy to find a publisher. Can you talk about your experience and maybe uh, brainstorm with Steve about what to do for those who may have something like that, but are faced with multiple rejection letters. You just have to have a really thick skin. Um, I was turned down by a number of agents and then I just stopped sending out query letters. I had a good marketing plan. I had a decent book and I regrouped and I overhauled my website I started a newsletter and I did some ancillary activities to make myself more in the prospect of uh, acquiring my book more attractive. Um, despite the fact that I have 40 years experience in writing as a former uh, editorial writer for the New York Times. And ultimately, I have five endorsements from New York Times bestselling authors who were nice enough to read my book. Despite that, I went through 34 rejections to get an agent, found an agent, and, you know, we've got one offer out of 47 publishing companies that he sent it to because I think with the conglomeration of the industry writ large of publishing, um, if you don't fit into a box, they're not interested, and if you write a memoir, but you're not a Kardashian, it's very, very difficult. So you just have to get very stubborn and keep going. Yeah. I um do you want me to respond to that? Sure, of course. Sure, <laughs> I don't go for it. You know, I mean, go for it. I mean, this is I mean, not... I'm not gonna disagree with you on almost any of that. I mean, I can literally look at my computer right now and see I've got two submissions since I started this phone call. And so um, it's not something that I that I spend my time thinking about because I only do six to eight. If I do 10 books in a year, I'm going to I'm going to be completely out of my mind trying to work them all out. And I, I mean, there's no really there's no answer. I mean, the fact that you did finally find someone. I mean, that's why I usually tell people there usually is someone for you. It's um, if your success rate is one out of 100, you want to speed through the 99 no's as quick as you can and not get hung up on the no's because it could have been the first person that it could have been that first agent that you submitted that would have been the one that said yes. Then your story would be completely different. You'd be right. like, oh, my God, it's so easy to find an agent. I sent it to right. one and they took it. So I don't know. I, I feel like dwelling on on the rejections is a bit of a uh, I mean, I, when I was in. When, I, when you sell, send out a mail-in or you send out an email or you're in, like I used to try and get ad sales or uh, 
other kinds of sales. You're just hoping for five out of a hundred people sometimes. And I used to constantly, if you're on the phone with someone and they're not the person that can decide whether you're, whether they can buy something from you. It's like, I just wish they'd tell me that right away. <laughs> I can speed right. on to the right, right person to speak to. Um, I mean, it is a, it is a uh, profession of persistence and, um, just frequently why I'm like, just enjoy writing your book the most. Have so much fun writing that book before you go to the next part. Um, because you do want to look back and go, I did do the best book I could write. And exactly. sometimes people submit things to me and I don't understand this, but they'll sometimes say, or when I finally talk to them, they'll say something like, yeah, well, actually, I have another book I kind of like more than this one. Oh. And I think to myself, like, well, that was stupid of you. Like, I know it's a little brave to put your best thing forward because sometimes, like, I'm like this sometimes. Like, well, if they reject my second best thing, they haven't actually rejected the thing I care about the most. And But you still don't want to be that person. It's like, because you only get one chance a lot of the times. Uh, I, I don't, it's so, like, it's, I feel like there is a publisher out there for most people. There used to be this thing by Dust Books called the Literary Guide to Small um, Publishers. I'm not 100% sure they're out there still, but they had thousands and thousands of publishers. And there's the writer's, um, ugh, I won't use it, um, the writer's guide to publishers. Or it was out of Cincinnati. And I was in there a few times and I, desperately try to get my my publishing company taken out of there you get so many things submitted to you but on the other hand it's a great place to find publishers because you do want to um you do want to send to the right ones so i don't know you recommend to writer now this isn't a plug for the okaboji writers retreat but do you recommend for for writers to go to conferences to do things like yeah. that connections oh yeah like i'm i can tell you that just um the first time i've been to the oak Bochi writer retreat was this year i'd actually secretly craved being there all the other years and i was like oh, i'm never gonna get to be there but now i got to be there <laughs> but it's really i mean i could almost fill up my my next two years of my life just from meeting people with with the potential for the books they want to write and also, I can almost see, like, if you go to a writer's retreat, sometimes you can almost see their eyes opening to the fact that they thought they'd come to this event. And they thought, well, yeah, I'll give it a try. You know, there's nothing's going to be perfect. But I could almost see some of the people's eyes opening, like, man, this could really work. I'm surrounded by people that are writing. And sometimes that in and of itself is enough confidence because you don't always hang out with writers and you don't always know that it's even a real thing. And it's not a Halloween costume, but you know, this is what they look like. There's nothing special. We don't all dress in black and we don't all, um, and we don't all, um, I don't, we don't all live in New York city or something, but it's, it's great to, to uh, see that you're not alone. Talk to someone else that's, that's writing a book and realize that rejections and, looking for the way you want to write a book and trading ideas on how to submit to publishers or opening paragraphs. It's, it's not just you. It's a real thing that lots of people are trying to do. Barry Pyatt has a question and uh, you're up next, Barry. Thank you, Julie. Um, I have a two-part question. Uh, number one, uh, what do you as a publisher want to see 
when you get a submission and how if at all does that differ from what an agent wants to see when you're looking for an agent um probably and okay i'll give you like a 17 part answer for your two-part question now i'll try and keep it in two but um i will tell you that i like i will be out of my realm if i try and talk to you about agents i um and far as I can tell, it's as hard to get an agent as it is to find a publisher. And with an agent, you're looking similarly to a publisher and they're looking at the work that they represent. Whereas with a publisher, you're trying to figure out if you fit in within, within that publisher's framework. And I think that um, the mistake a lot of people make is they just, like almost everyone now sends me that sends me a query letter says that i'm pretty with your with your focus on the midwest i'm pretty sure you'd like this one it's not exactly about the midwest but i grew up there and so it'll have something to do with it and it's pretty vague um i i um i guess i if you have a book idea or you have it done i i really just don't know how to help you, whether you should go for an agent or a publisher. I, I, I can tell you that I get from firsthand. Oh dear, Steve, we've lost you. And I think part of that is just to be able to say that we contacted a hundred publishers. Um, dear Ice Ice Cub Press, I'm really great. I have keen attention to detail, and they like to misspell the press name. They'll misspell the, something in the keen detail part, and so they like that's all I need not to really read any further, because I'm I'm sort of reading it in a way that it's like I don't really have time for another submission. And if they if someone makes it clear that they really aren't that passionate about it, or if they haven't paid attention to the details then it's not that their book isn't any good it's that I'm not I usually don't go past that and it's not fair and I'm not how proud of myself to tell you that's how I do it sometimes but um, I was joking with Julie I, I have a bunch of uh, when I first started doing Twitter formerly known as Prince I mean formerly known as Twitter now known as X I used to do these little things called uh, pickup publisher pickup lines. It was something like, you know, a piper back in the back pocket. It always looks cool. And then there's something like, I love it when people send me submissions and they say they purchased the last five books I published. And I've, something I don't fully understand is when someone will um, send me a book proposal and They've never even looked at one of the books I published before other than the covers. Like I would not do that. I would be, I want to see that publisher in action. I want to see if they use good paper. I want to see if they, um, if their covers are going to hold together, if they, uh, if they, if their margins are okay. And so I just think that that's frequently overlooked when submitting to a publisher because a, like I mentioned earlier, you do want people to buy your book when it comes out. So, uh, you know, it seems like if I'm the right publisher for you, there's going to be something in there that you like, and you're going to probably want to at least have it in your hands 
so that you can say, yeah, you know, this thing's not a piece of junk. <laughs> so um, I think those are sort of inside tips for you on how to approach someone. Because um, if it's just a boring submission, I say this all the time and I totally mean it, like a well-written, boring book is still a well-written, boring book. A uh, exciting book with a few mistakes in it is an exciting book that I can make, that I can have jump off the shelf. Um, so some of these answers are inspiring me from your question, but that's kind of, a, I think you're asking mostly how to, what's a good way to submit. Let me ask you about the business of publishing. Mm -hmm. um, what's the average sale of, uh, in terms of copies sold of a typical ice cube? Uh, well, I, I won't be answering this question directly. I'll just warn you. <laughs> I know almost never speak about numbers, but I, when I was at the um, when I was at the uh, conference, um, the Polly next to me had pointed out a survey that she'd done with a lot of publishers and uh, authors and anyone that had come up with a book. And the average sales was somewhere around I think she said two hundred for the average. And so if you take that in consideration, there's some people selling to their grandmother and then their uncle says, no, nah, he's not going to buy it. <laughs> so you get one, but you know, I always exceed that. And, um, I, I, it's, uh, and some of it is, is how many books do you print as part of how you, as how you can figure out how much uh, money you're going to make off of it. Um, there's small run prints, there's large run prints, um, there's different paperweights. Sometimes, you know, we cut a few pages because it'll be under 16 ounces. So if you're sending anything over a pound these days, the price goes up a lot. <laughs> so there's different paperweights to consider. Um, it, it's not a very satisfying answer, I know. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like most books the best way to make money for me is to interview the authors before I accept their books. And I usually try and meet in person or on the phone call if, or person if I can, or a phone call and figure out how much effort, and this is going to be another question, I get it, but how much effort they can put into helping me sell their book, um, how willing they are to um, having edits made, um, how much enthusiasm do they have for their book and, because sometimes I've, what I can offer that other people that a that a larger publisher might not be able to, or the opposite extreme in a self-published book, is that I do have 30 years of knowing who to call. It doesn't mean it's going to work, but if I can get an idea from the author, <clears throat> excuse me, ahead of time what they hope will happen, then we can kind of formulate a plan within um, their hopes and their dreams and their expectations. The reason I asked yeah. the reason I asked the question, and I know I know it's not a comfortable question, but a lot of people I think get into this thinking that they have a good book idea and that they're going to be able to make enough money to live on off of it, and it's an unrealistic expectation. Mostly, it's on the screen now. Yeah. She froze. There she's back. She oh. did. Okay, I was afraid it was me. All right, no, you're going to say it wasn't a fair question, um, but you were curious about. It. Well, it's, it's um, I, I just think a lot of people are need to know what the reality is when they, you right. know, they, they'll think that they're going to 
mortgage their house and and make right. them. That's a right. And I don't want at, to do that. Right. I'm I'm good answering that question. Like I do have an answer for that. <laughs> right. I mean, I feel like people do go into publishing with the wrong idea. Like they've seen a few movies and there's always a line because, you know, they're at a big bookstore and there's people wrapped around the block and they're going to be signing books for hours. And um, most people that I speak, that I work with do have it in their mind that they're going to go just about anywhere and do just about anything. And that is both admirable. And also I try and talk them out of it a lot of the time because you're probably not going to have, a huge crowd everywhere you go and it only takes one reading where there's two people there and one person um is there because they thought your book was on something else <laughs> and then they leave and you sort of call me up and go oh my god why did i get i don't want to do any more readings but of course i'm going to do a real quick flip side on that one time i had a person do a reading for three people and one person bought 10 copies one person bought one and the third person had a book club and then brought the author to town and they read to 45 people. So you never really know. You tell yourself the people that are meant to be there are the ones that are there. Um, but it is, it's not always big lines and big crowds. And um, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just how things are. Like sometimes the weather just has to be two degrees too cold and the forecast is for rain and people don't show up to your event. All right, Bob Leonard, are you willing to uh, join in this conversation <laughs> as uh, author of Deep Midwest and a client of Steve's? What was your experience? Oh, boy. Um, I know. That's where my phone's going to cut out. <laughs> first, it was it was wonderful. I met Steve like 20 years ago, maybe. at a, There used to be an Iowa history conference that DMAC used to run, and that's where we mm -hmm. met. And I saw what he did and uh, just, I don't know exactly how we got hooked up. I, what I liked about Steve was he gave good thoughtful criticism. As a former academic, I'm not used to thoughtful criticism. People just, you know, say nasty things to you. But for constructive criticism, um, he was very good. Um, working with the design was very good. Um, he also does a great job marketing. Um, I've been in the radio business for a long time, and uh, I get lots of queries from big press people and from university press people. Do you want to interview our author? And 95% uh, of the time, I'll respond yes, and I'll never hear from them again. What? I'll never hear from them again. I've, I've, there's a new book coming out on a former Iowa politician. I don't want to say because people will track it down, but I was looking forward to doing a review and promoting it. And I asked the editor, can I get a review? I don't need a copy. You know, I can see a PDF, nothing. University presses are the worst. No, I mean, they're all bad. They're all just like Steve said, not all of them. But the bigger presses, it's like maybe they don't think that it's important to talk to a small town radio guy. But why send me the email if you're not going to set up the interview? And so a lot of times they don't. Um, what the university presses won't tell you either is they give the bookstores less of a cut than other presses will. So the university mm -hmm. bookstores want a lot of shelf space, but only give you half the money that the other commercial publishers will do. Um, I've, and I say this with, you know, I was formerly on the University of New Mexico Press Committee and uh, 
I mean, we thought we did a good job, but I didn't know as much from the other side on the news thing. But Steve does great job marketing. He's got really good uh, relations at at uh, Iowa Public Radio. He's a he's very persistent, and and he builds relationships with the interviewers, with the people that are doing it. You know that he could say, "Hey, Bob, I think you'll like this." You know, if I don't bite, he'll send me something. If I don't bite. He'll come back and say, Bob, I really think you'll like this. And so when you get that personal kind of connection for somebody that believes in a book, believes in an author, is willing to work for it rather than just say, oh, I sent out, you know, 10,000 emails and I, you know, didn't get much of a response. That's what a lot of the marketing people do not see. He's great at it. You know, great at all ends of it, in my opinion. Go ahead. Well, go ahead, Steve. Oh, I was going to say, he can just keep speaking as long as he wants. (laughs) Bob is very nice to me. He frequently says I've done more for Iowa writers than any press in Iowa. And it's kind of getting to my head. I'm starting to believe it. (laughs) Does this market, how do you grow a market outside the Midwest? Well, I, well, that's a, that's it. All your questions are good. I don't mean that's a good question. I mean, that's an interesting one to me is that, uh, I um I frequently like you'd be surprised how much time I spend not trying to use the word Iowa in everything I do because it you get pigeonholed so quickly. And um right now I think it's pretty interesting because I have um Chris Jones has a he was just in Illinois at the Prairie Rivers conference in uh Champaign Urbana. And I don't know if you follow Twitter, but there's a great picture of him standing in front of the Orphea, Orpheum, Orpheum or Orpheus Theater. They have him on the billboard. You're like, that's a dream, author's dream come true out on the front. But then he's, you know, he's going to be going down to Missouri next week and he's going to do a couple an event in Columbia and Springfield. And that's because I'm not an Iowa publisher necessarily. I'm a Midwest publisher. I we were working with this this blue democratic um, kind of icon, Jess Piper, who took an interest in his book, and then the uh, rural Missouri rural farm crisis picked up his his ideas, and they see these problems coming down river or down to Missouri, and so then you realize that I'm not this Iowa guy. I'm this person that's like doing midwestern themes that are relevant to a lot of people. Um, you know, I did a book with a lady in Northfield, Minnesota on, uh, it's entitled becoming a widow's guide to becoming a handyman. And the themes in there are, are these German immigrants and her life in Minneapolis. And you realize it's not, it's not always this Iowa thing. It's the seasons and the food and everything put together. You know, she's got events. We did an event for her in New Ulm, Minnesota at this brewery called shields or shells and so many people one of the my favorite parts about being a book publisher is when a new book is released in a person's hometown and everyone was pretty sure that they could pull it off a book right that they could write a book but they weren't maybe 100 percent sure and that day when the book comes out you know like um any author I can think of, but in these two recent ones is uh, like Susan Hewn, who did that one in do all in a Minnesota. She went to the brewery and it was just packed for hours. And her old, her mother's former doctor showed up and they hadn't seen each other for 25, 30 years. And all these, she's like, I remember being on a track team with you. And sometimes 
you realize that's what people mean when they when they compare Amazon to um, to independent bookstores or real events. Like you can't really, there's no enjoyment of getting a book signed on Amazon, but there totally is when you see them in person. I just, um, Steve, I just looked at the clock and we only have 10 minutes left and I want to make uh-oh. sure we get some of these other folks on the call. Norm Brewer, um, tell, tell us how you went about writing a novel and finding a publisher. Well, Julie, I didn't find a publisher. I, uh, <laughs> I, this is my third novel. It's a, it's a story about uh, what could have happened on January 6th when insurrectionists stormed the Capitol. Uh, I went through about a half a dozen efforts to get an agent. I, got, I went through about a dozen efforts to get a publisher, which you know, consumed some months and slowed up publishing the book. And uh, <clears throat> frankly, I'm, I'm a little long in the tooth to <laughs> sit around for two or three years uh, waiting for some publisher to want to do uh, a story that I, I believe in and I think is uh, important because the terrorist threat, what we saw happen back there uh, in January 6th, uh, continues today. So with that political spiel, <laughs> Let me ask uh, you, Steve. Uh, the the book, the ban, the ban, the book movement is is uh, of great concern. How how do you see that affecting publishers, particularly smaller publishers, if at all? And secondly, how do you see it playing out? Um, and I'm not going to give you the answer that you think, because I would love to have a book banned. <laughs> <laughs> I consider it would be a medal of honor in some weird way. Um, but, you know, anytime we have uh, any sort of um, censorship or any sort of limitation on people's the way they believe. I mean, I'm in the business of of information transformation <laughs> transfer. So I, of course, am not happy about that. I, I do know that it's a lot uh, more complex than it's not super complex, but it's complex because a lot of the times people I work with are super liberals and then they'll turn around and be like, why are we letting, but they also ban this books about the other side of the story. And so if there's a book about why COVID isn't a problem, you won't see that in some bookstores and I'm not saying. And so it's a pretty tricky thing to be open-minded to everything. Um, but I um I guess I'm just not worried about it because I I feel like I'm not that I'm not trying to do anything that's that um explosive necessarily. I'm I my thing is always I probably will not be swayed from my original comments at the beginning that I'm going to be interested in what I'm interested in, and I'm going to publish those things um, regardless. And I I I guess I really don't have a great answer for your question, but. You know what, um, Steve? Chris Jones is mm-hmm. on the call. If if, if any yeah. of the authors are going to get banned, it would be Chris, right, Chris? That's the one I had in mind. I just thought God, I really would love it if that book had a. I'd make some stickers and be like banned. Yeah, books. have you been, been banned yet, Chris? <laughs> well, word has not reached me yet of that, uh, but you know, <laughs> I'm hoping to put that uh, on the cover of my next book, <laughs> Seventy Counties. My things are picking up everything. 
there. Recording is in progress. It's, okay. Uh, All right. All right. Well, Steve Simkin, uh, <laughs> this is kind of funny, but the internet conked out on my end. So we didn't really get to wrap up our conversation. There are a couple other questions I wanted to ask you. And it dawned sure. on me, we were in the middle of talking to Chris Jones about whether or not his books would ever be banned. That's that's where at least my internet <laughs> connection conked out. Um, right. When you brought on Chris, of course, he was in the midst of a controversy with with the water testing quality position he had uh, with the Board of Regents institutions. And um, most of the people who will be listening to this understand that he left the position. And he's been quite a lightning rod for controversy because there are some people that don't want their water quality tested if they happen to have uh, livestock nearby headwaters. And yeah, like places like Bloody Run Creek, for instance. <laughs> That's the one that got him into the most trouble, exactly. it would appear. Exactly. I, yeah, I really didn't know that much about the whole, um, like I care about water quality, but this has been an eye-opening experience for me in a lot of ways. Um, it's almost a whole podcast in and of itself, the way it's gone on with him. But I will say now that we're months out, the book came out late May, and now we're here in November. And for better or worse, I'm not sure that the that the effort to silence him has not worked at all. I mean, he was in Champaign, Illinois last week to a packed house. And just last night he was in Grinnell College. And again, there's the you I saw these pictures today he posted, and they're just people standing all around the edges of the room. And I think that's pretty remarkable for Grinnell, not because they're not interested, but Normally you get a, a pretty full crowd, but you don't usually get people standing there all around the edges listening in. And so this is a huge issue as far as I can tell. And from a publisher's point of view, I could never have been smart enough to plot this whole thing out. I mean, like he says, and I say, he didn't do it. He didn't put this book together because he wanted to go out on the road and start talking like this. I mean, it wasn't his plan that that he was going to retire, have some controversy, create a book that people were interested in. And I certainly didn't expect that either, but it's just a, a good happenstance that way. And I think there's lessons there. Um, I think early on, there was an article in this piece called Circle of Blue, and this could relate to almost anyone, is that he was more or less be, being asked to not say things anymore. And mm -hmm. In this world of book banning and censorship and um, straight up um, repression of voice, I mean that could should concern anyone on any topic. And and there was an article about it in the Chronicle of Higher Education on him also. And so it's a it's a thing that all writers and publishers probably need to pay attention to. And I was joking with him about getting his book banned. I'm like, I consider that because one of the questions was, should we be worried about getting books being banned? And I was like, I would consider, I kind of wish one of mine would get banned almost. And uh, well, if well, I Chris is, Chris is about as close to it as uh, mm -hmm. your author so far, I would think. But well, did you right. receive any threats or any intimidation at all about publishing his book? Or Oh, no. I, I mean, I... He, I never really think of it like that. Like I did one once on Brothers Blood, um, which was a murder back in Cedar Falls, Waterloo, back in 1970 sometime. And the, the accused 
killer, which I think it's clear he's in Fort Madison still. I mean, some people are like, do you feel comfortable publishing a book like that? It's like, not really. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I was like, no, they're going to go after the author. <laughs> I've said about it more than me, but I don't know. I just feel like that's kind of my point is, I mean, to have the, the fiercely independent um, concept is what I'm there for. And I, I really don't, I don't see myself as being um, super um, risk as a major risk taker, but I also don't see myself swaying away from them. I think like Chris, he had, he had mentioned that he had submitted his book to another publisher and then for various reasons, they didn't take it. One, it doesn't sound like they liked it, but secondly, I'm sure part of it was something part of your question. They probably didn't want to be part of that. And I told, I've told him, and he doesn't have any reason to believe this, but most publishers would probably not give him a book cover like that and um, be more than happy to, to engage in the, in the issues at hand. I don't, I don't think, I don't know that for sure, but. I, you know, uh, back in, um, back in the early seventies, my dad mm-hmm. and I was 24 years of age. He'd been a daily columnist for the Des Moines Register and Tribune Company, and he covered World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I, I was just 24, and I was bound and determined to have a book of his columns published. And, mm-hmm. and of course, then, then how do you, what do you do right. body of work that that's, that's that extensive? And, and decided to just focus on the three wars that he covered. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing, of course. Still don't, actually. But, uh, <laughs> hey, but join I, the club, right? <laughs> yeah, but I went to Iowa State University Press for some reason or another, and, and they mm-hmm. picked it up. And um, I was convinced that, number one, it would be in all journalism classrooms because it was uh, right. a, a, a feature reporter writer who covered three different wars from a human interest perspective. And I was also convinced that it was going to be one of the one of the key drivers of world peace forever because when people right. about war from a human <laughs> interest perspective as opposed to battles and casualties mm-hmm. and facts and figures and numbers that it that it might change people's view of war. So that's just how naive I was about this whole publishing thing. But right. to this day I have that book in my bookcase and it's probably one of my proudest accomplishments to see that that was published back when I was 24 years of age. So that's why I ask you about numbers. You know, I get concerned when, when folks show up at a writer's retreat that there might be some unrealistic expectations about publishing and have such grand visions and dreams like I did at age 24. And that's not the right. reality, right? I mean, unless you're James Waller, that's another story. Right. You know, the right. of Madison County, his first novel. Mm-hmm. And it's probably a record holder for a number of sales. I know. Uh, yeah. You know, that 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 definitely was an anomaly. But how do you, right. how do you work with clients to have them understand what's realistic about publishing? Well, it is an action. It is a, a a totally reasonable question, and sometimes the answer is not what anyone wants to hear. But I try try and indi- I mean, I do try and 
tell every author certain things. Um, it starts with, I just encourage them to completely enjoy the process of putting their book together and writing it first and foremost. Like don't, not don't, but you know, try not to skip to the end result of where you're going to be a famous writer and the world's going to be put on hold while you share your everything you know, because that's, because the, I think the most fun for a writer is the process of creating the book, coming up with the idea, putting it together, getting in that flow that people talk about with, with sports or uh, anything, just like you immerse yourself in the character or in the topic and you become this expert at it and you live it and breathe it as you're able. Because the publishing part is probably the least exciting in some ways. Um, in movies, like I think it's when Harry met Sally or I'm probably missing it. Bone with with Meg Ryan in it, where there's books and there's lines and lines of people waiting to get their book signed. And right. of course, you're going to see that. That's one of those social media um, um, exaggerations. I mean, no one's posting their event usually when there's no one there. And so you see the extreme, the extreme big time events on Good Morning America or uh, in the movies. But it's important for authors to understand that. And I've gone through this and I go through this because I attend all, I try and attend a few readings from every author that I can. And sometimes the crowds are big and sometimes they're small. Sometimes it's because the weather was 74 instead of 70 or the humidity was a certain level or the traffic was bad or their dogs didn't, there was dogs howling. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason to, to attendance in a lot of ways. And plus there's no way the people that show up are the ones that you want to be there. And sometimes there was an event at think at Beaverdale where someone was complaining because they only had four people, but turned out one of the people there um, bought five copies. I think one of them started a book, had a book club and she was in a book club and they ended up buying like 35 or 40 copies. Someone else, you know, bought a copy and who knows what the fourth person did, but it's like, you just never know what's going to happen. And I, I just think if you're in it for numbers and if you're in it for fame, then you should probably um, look somewhere else. And I don't think, and that's just because those are the things people judge their life. I mean, their success on, but I clearly don't think that's true because I specialize in this small publishing, small publishing. So if I had a hundred thousand copies of a book, sell. That'd be unusual for me in all ways to have that happen. So I'm that person that is satisfied with the small business, small um, promotions, and always looking for that for that big moment, of course, along the way. But um, I think it was Polly um, at the uh, on the panel this September, yeah. and she had. Yeah, I'd mentioned um, she had read a survey of the average number of sales that a person can expect in any, you know, all published authors, no matter how it comes out. And I think she said something like 200. And some people that publish with the university presses don't even get that many. And that seems incomprehensible, right? It's like the wow. University of wherever, whatever, you know, University of Oklahoma Press. You think that would be a great thing, and it is, but it doesn't mean that they're selling thousands of copies of their book. Yeah. So what are, you working on? 
what's coming up? What are what? Let's wrap this up and okay. talk about what you're working on. What what do we have to look forward to? There are so many good books. Like it's a never-ending supply of great books. Honestly, it just really isn't. <laughs> um, for instance, and some of them just come in. I, I was joking with you earlier before we got on that just going to the Oak Boji Writers Retreat could provide me with two or three years worth of material to work with. And it's not a joke. I mean, if everyone comes through with the books they say they're going to do with me, that is two years worth of work. Um, I I was there and Art Cullen, if he's listening, he hinted at least that he's interested. So we'll see. (laughs) And then Ruth and Ruth Harkin, and, you know, some of it's just talking, but um, there's so many great writers that are well-established and also writers that you've never heard of in your life. Um, I met someone there that um, she, I know she works at Lakeside Labs and she wants to do a a book on the labs and the stories about it. And that's another good book. And I'm already working with Ruth Harkin on a, uh, on her book. And that's just, and when I think about that from when I started, I mean, Tom Harkin was a Senator when I was, when I first started, there's no way I would be dealing with the with her. <laughs> but part of that is doing it so long, people have learned to trust me. And also, um, you know, I, I find there's fa- ways to meet people that I didn't know. And like you provided that for me. <laughs> and it oh, gives great. someone a good chance to meet. And she clearly believes in me. And so that's coming out next year. Oh, I've got a great short story collection on uh, on. Uh, growing up as a Mexican American in in the Midwest, and I I know people are going to wonder why I didn't remember their book, but I'm working on a lot right now. There's a retired doctor in Grinnell, and his story is so passionate and full of 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 I don't know 1960s farm life, and the title is uh, Even So: Growing Up in an Overpopulated Farmhouse. And he has this great photo at the front of like 13 kids and the mom and the dad. And it just looks like ultimate chaos. And <laughs> when people start reading that, they're going to agree. Like, that's too many people to live in my little house. <laughs> well, that sounds great. You do yeah. feel an important a mission and niche that especially as major publishing houses have con- consolidated and uh they're very metrics di- driven in ways that will certainly bypass a lot of really good books that won't get published because of the consolidation. And right. I think the self-publishing uh, angle is an important one too, but what you're doing is really an important niche, Steve. And I thank you for, for the service that you're doing for so many writers. Well, you're welcome. I, and Bob Leonard has said this so many times that it's gone to my head, but he always says, it's like, Steve, you've done more for Iowa writers than any publisher in Iowa. And I mean, I'm not going to disagree with him, but if he hadn't have said that, I wouldn't have just said that. But he always says that. So it can't be that. It has to be some truth in there somewhere. Um, it, it's exciting to be a book publisher. I'm not going to lie. Like, I clearly found my what's that book? What color is your parachute? If I were to do that book, I bet there would, if I had done that to the T, I bet it would be Steve, you are destined to be a book publisher. Much to the dismay of my grade school teachers who used to send me out into the library with tutors and be like, if you don't learn how to spell anytime soon, you're going to be in trouble. (laughs) I'm trying. 
trying. <laughs> Spell check and Grammarly, hooray! Yeah, no kidding. Sometimes uh, you're like, boy, I've read that a hundred times, and or I didn't know that was the right way. <laughs> right. Well, it's delightful right. to talk to you. Is um, mm-hmm. if somebody's listening to this and has a, mm-hmm. an idea for a book, are you welcoming contacts? So, how do they reach you? I mean, it's a catch twenty two, like. I, I put myself out there and I'm, I will look at anybody's, if people email me at steve at um, icecubepress.com or go to the website, you know, icecubepress.com, you can send me your ideas. Um, I only, I, I joke that 99.9% of my life is saying no to people, but I think the ones that I say yes to, they like me. <laughs> and I, I, I may have, I can't remember now if I said this in the first um, segment of the sh- of this, but like I I understand um, how much effort it takes to be a writer and how much time people put into it. And when you did your father's book, like you didn't just whip that out. I'm sure you probably put your heart and soul into it. And so when a when someone sends me something, I get that, and I wish I could say no to every single passionately well done project that comes in so um you on the one yes. hand i'll i'll, I'll yes. take a look you mean right. you, i wish you, i could say yes. yes to everybody right yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's I not gonna... a freudian slip i promise <laughs> i want to find good books that's my goal in life it's funny because when i used to be a writer i used to hear publishers are having trouble finding books to publish and i'm like what is that all about right. and it, there's been periods of time along the way that i'm like oh, i wish really something amazing would come in um, i'm on a good roll right now knock on every wood imaginable um but i'll take a look at almost anything i mean if it if there's if the pitches are full of spelling errors and they don't know much about what they're doing, then I kind of brush those aside, but I try really hard to, to respect everyone and, and do the best. And I always throw this in, like, I don't know what, and this is not a sales pitch, although it kind of is like, I would never buy a book from a, I would never want to be published by a book publisher that I had never actually seen a copy of their book before. So, um, my golden rule of publishing is do unto other authors what you would want them to do for you. <laughs> so you want them to buy the book, review your book, give you, give you feedback. Well, Steve, we have many mm-hmm. common goals, and that's to mm-hmm. play some kind of role in helping people tell their stories. And I'm delighted. One of the many, many unintended consequences in a positive way of doing what I'm doing these days is meeting people like you and the writers. Mm -hmm. It's an extraordinary opportunity for me and I'm sure it is for you. Mm -hmm. I'm just glad we got to meet. I am too. I mean, I agree with you. It's like, I think sometimes it's not that the writers inherently are the best people I meet, but they're the one, but those people have examined their life and are so full of what they have to share that, I mean, how can you not like them? Yeah. yeah. And, and some people ask me, are you worried about publishing? I bet I would give the same answer as you. I'm like, no, like the world is made of stories and people want to share things with each other. And that is publishing and that is writer conferences and that is gatherings. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't see it going anywhere. I look at the connections that have been made as a result of the last three writers' conferences. Here's Caleb Rainey. He's going off to mm-hmm. Texas A&M to to give a you know give a talk because he met 
one mm-hmm. of the professors there at the writers' retreat, and you know, all of wow. these connections are are being amplified all over the country, and it's just thrilling. I know. So I look it forward is. to seeing you in September. Mm-hmm. And, um, and on that note, I'm going to end this conversation, but don't go away. All right. Thank you for everything. Thank you.